Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this May 5th Cinco de Mayo edition of the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show on Blog Talk Network. I'll be your host this Sunday, Cole Friel, filling in for the normal Sunday radio show host, uh, Brian Roach. Uh, As usual, we will talk about some of the latest news, uh, some injury reports. We will also deal with things past, present, and future in uh, the world of baseball, both performances that have have piqued our interest. as well as streamers and matchups from from this upcoming weekday series. Um, but before uh, we get into all that, I'd like to bring in uh, my guest for, for this week's edition, Kyle Klinker. Uh, Kyle is uh, a member of our leagues. He has been a member and a guest on these shows uh, for a number of years. Uh, how you doing today, Kyle? And uh, anything uh, off the top of your head that you want to lead today's show off, off on in terms of baseball? That kind of introduction and everything. I'm I'm glad to be able to to do this. Um, you know, honestly, no. I mean, I, I'm ready to get after it and talk a little baseball. I mean, uh, I'm ex- de- definitely excited to get talking about the Reds um, and their situation out in the outfield with a, a big cluster of outfielders that they have. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the Reds. I almost brought up the Reds uh, before I brought you on just because, you know, if there's one little baseball factoid, and I, I mentioned it before the show, but if there's one little baseball factoid, I think, that really sticks out from, from Sunday, uh, it's the fact that the Reds had three home runs on three consecutive pitches from Jeff Samarja, not just at-bat uh, pitches. I mean, that, that was a, a stat and a storyline that, trended at the top of ESPN uh, for all sports, which is, you know, fairly significant. But um, before we uh, move forward for today's show, I'd like to remind our audience about our partner, Thrive Fantasy. Uh, Thrive Fantasy offers a, a different model for the daily fantasy uh, game. Instead of offering uh, the salary-based format, it offers prop bets. Instead, you can go to thrivefantasy.com or majorleaguefantasysports.com and click the Thrive Fantasy link. Thrive also offers uh, to match your first $10 if you put in the promo code MLFS. That's thrivefantasy.com and the promo code MLFS. We are also seeking members for our 2019 competitive football leagues. We are trying to put uh, look early to put the net out and try to find the right fits and members for these leagues. If you think that you would fit, you can email Corey D. Roberts at Major League Fantasy Sports at gmail.com. Email Corey D. Roberts at Major League Fantasy Sports at gmail.com. And uh, if you like the work we do here, either in writing or on the show, uh, you can go to our Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash Major League Fantasy Sports. Patreon.com slash Major League Fantasy Sports. Now, um, the first thing we'll get to on today's show is, is some, some news. Um, Mostly I, I look for injury list things, but you know this this week actually seemed to have more more moves and mover and sh- movers and shakers, so to speak. So um, you foreshadowed it earlier. Why don't you kick us off 
by talking about the fact that Scott Shevler was optioned, Matt Kemp was released, and Nick Senzel was called up. So a lot going on in this Reds outfield situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the uh, the Shevler move, um, maybe not so surprising that he got demoted. Uh, for me, what was the big surprise was how much he struggled this year uh, compared to what he's done in you know the years past. Uh, not too long ago, in 2017, he hit 30 home runs, um, and he had you know uh, just last year he had 17 home runs. Um, from a points a points league perspective, you know he was averaging two and a half points a game, which is pretty solid. Um, he was supposed to be the everyday center fielder for. The Reds, um, obviously that's changed now with the plan to put Sensel um, out in center field. Um, so uh, that was a little bit surprising. The other surprising thing, of course, is Matt Kemp, Kemp being released. Um, you know, he, he he was just kind of stuck out there in the outfield with all that depth, and not only depth, but it's young depth, and the Reds are in a place now where – they've got to get some of these young outfielders a chance to play and get everyday at bats. And when you've got a guy like Matt Kemp in there, who's got a bigger contract is in a contract year. Um, sadly, he's just going to get the boot uh, when it comes to taking bats away from uh, Winkler or Sensel and, and Shebler who also got the boot too, just basically because he wasn't performing to be quite honest with you. Um, he's only batting a buck 23 81 at bats and and the guy has struck out uh, 27 times in 81 at bats. That's a pretty alarming uh, rate there. Yeah, coming into the season, you know they they brought in Yasiel Puig, so so we knew this would be a bit of a convoluted. Well, they brought in Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp, so we knew it would be a bit of a a convoluted mess. And then uh, with the fact that they've seemed to want to move forward with. Scooter Jeanette, who we haven't seen this year because of injury, uh, and, and Eugenio Suarez on their second and third base positions, which were seen as the two main potentials for Nick Senzel, uh, and taking that, that top 10 prospect bat, moving it to the outfield, all of a sudden you had you know a big influx of outfielders uh, into Cincinnati, where at one point we had talked about how their outfield was a little thin, but, but it doubled so quickly, and all of a sudden you have all these guys you know, the thing about Jesse Winker is he's got his upsides, he's got his downsides. Right now, he's showing us way more power than we ever uh, than we've ever seen from him before. Um, but he he did struggle a little bit more against lefties last year. But but despite that fact, I think he's the kind of player that, uh, for me, at this point in his career, I want to see him play those lefties and get better. Uh, I want to have part of my my intentions and my idea on the long term and developing Jesse Winker because you know last year. He was a 300-400 type average OBP hitter uh, against righties. If he can become that against lefties and ultimately become uh, a 400 OBP guy overall, you know, I, I know he gets this comp because he wears the same jersey, but but he really could be their Joey Votto uh, for the next several years. You know, their the replacement to Joey Votto and and their next Joey Votto, their younger uh, version. Uh, do you have any any thoughts on? on that, that comparison in terms of Winker, I know it's one that, you know, maybe a little lazy because he's a red and gets thrown out a lot, but, uh, you know, what do you think the upside is with Jesse Winker? Oh, I think he's got very good upside, and I, I think you're right. He just needs to get a, uh, a chance every day to get out there and play and, and match up against lefties. I know uh, a lot of managers are afraid at times to, to throw a lefty out there against the lefty and, 
and rightfully so. You know, there's a lot of um, left-handed hitters that just, for whatever reason, don't hit well against left-handed pitching. And um, there's really only one way to find out, and that's to give them a chance to play. But, you know, uh, Votto is getting older. Um, his days are, are running down as well. But I think it's a decent comparison. I mean, uh, both have in their prime. I mean, when Votto was in his prime, had pretty good pop. Winkler's got some pretty good pop. Um, you know, maybe uh, towards the end of his career, uh, after he gets slower and older, maybe he makes a transition to first base um, down the line. We've seen a lot of left-handed uh, throwers make that transition from the outfield to first base. So uh, I think it's a good comparison. Yeah, and then uh, Nick Senzel, obviously the big, the big name in terms of uh, minor league baseball circles. You got a good hit tool uh, in, in the same fashion as we just talked about Winker and Bottle. He, he's got uh, some pretty good pop, um, and he's also got got some some pretty good speed. Um, do Do you have any any major thoughts on, on Nick Senzel from a pure talent perspective or from an upside perspective that that stick out before we move on? I mean, I, from everything that I hear, um, he he's supposed to be the real deal. Uh, what scares me a lot of times about prospects, especially in baseball, is there's always um, a lot of uh, pressure on these young prospects coming up uh, that they sometimes just can't live up to those expectations. You know, one that comes to mind is uh, Matt Laporta. You know, I don't remember if you know that name, but uh, in Cleveland, when we got him from a trade uh, with the Brewers, you know, he's the hot topic, the big name. And he just never lived up to those expectations. So, I mean, I hope that, that th- this is not a, a bust like that. But I like to tend and, and wait a little bit on prospects before I make any real judgments on them. But from a talent standpoint, he's a five-tool. I mean, he's got the speed. He's got the power. Uh, he's got the arm. I mean, in, in fan tracks right now in our points league, they've got him listed as a third-base shortstop eligibility And as of right now, he's going to go to center field and play every day. So this year alone, he's going to be eligible at shortstop, third base, and center field eventually. Um, And those are some pretty difficult positions to get quality players. And if he can live up to the expectations of what everybody's saying, um, he could be a keeper for a long time with those uh, eligibilities alone. Yeah, and I also think, you know, in terms of the Reds and his baseball value, I think that utility goes to show some of his um, athleticism. And then, you know, when I'm looking at a prospect, when I'm looking at a player, when I'm looking at someone that I want to buy into, I think the the, the thing that makes me feel comfortable in terms of floor is control of the strike zone uh, and, in general, what someone would call hit tool, or at least my version of what someone would call a hit tool. And I think Nick Senzel is pretty strong in both of these areas. I don't know what the ultimate uh, upside will be, but I am hoping that he is a, a, a pretty safe player at the least. He seems just like a, a solid ball player overall, but uh, uh, we'll move on from that uh, into some of these injuries. Uh, Jamison Tyon, it was uh, reported as a flexor strain sent to the injured list. Now I saw two reports uh, on this that are, were kind of conflicting and I didn't know what to make of them. I don't know if anything's come out in the last couple hours, um, but I saw one report that said uh, that claimed that he had no UCL damage, which to me typically means that uh, Tommy John isn't going to happen. It's just a matter of rest and, rehabilita- re- rest and rehabilitation and you know, not necessarily as major of a 
uh, an issue as potentially believed when you hear an elbow flexor strain. Um, but I also heard that it was worse than initially believed. So I don't know what those two um, contrasting uh, thoughts mean. Maybe it's just a bad flexor strain, but definitely not uh, a long-term Tommy John injury. But uh, do you have any thoughts on either Jamison Tyon from, from the performance standpoint, from the injury standpoint, or from the uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates standpoint of what could be coming in to replace him. Well, I think it's a major concern. I mean, he in 2014 just had Tommy John surgery, so I mean he he's already had a history of of some arm issues, which is alarming. Um, you know, he's a good talent. Last year alone, I mean, he he made 32 starts, 20 quality starts. That's pretty solid. He had a record of 14 and 10. Pitched 190 innings, um, had an ERA of, of 320. Those are really solid numbers. And that was in his first full major league season. Um, and he was off to a good quality year already this year. I mean, he had three quality starts in seven games, had a complete game already. Um, ERA was 410, but, you know, that's not terrible. He's a, I think he's a left-handed pitcher. So um, the talent's there. It, it stinks that he's getting hurt. It also stinks that he's got a – history of being hurt as well um from a pirate standpoint this hurts i mean i know they had him uh they have chris archer um they've got some decent depth at that at that rotation but you know you can it always hurts when you lose one of your top guys and you know they're they're still in the hunt i mean i think they're 500 right now um still trying to battle out for the nl central uh, they can they can still make a make a run, but it's going to be difficult when you lose this guy, and, and hopefully he's not out too long. Yeah, Jamison Tyon. Uh, for one thing, uh, he is a righty, um, uh, but the things that you like about the situation uh, in PNC is that uh, you see the same thing. Even though he hasn't put up the numbers, he's got that four point one zero ERA. Uh, his numbers this year actually look. I think a lot similar to what Joe Musgrove's numbers looked like uh, last year, um, where you had the sub two walks per nine, uh, the sub one home runs per nine. Uh, you know, his, his strand rate is pretty low, which suggests he might be getting uh, a little unlucky. He he isn't missing as many bats as he usually does. Uh, that K nine is is uh, relatively low um, compared to you know his, his last uh, year and a half slash two years. Um, but, but it's not that low. And I think in, in general, he's getting some of the similar results that he had last year um, and not necessarily being as bad as the 0.9 ERA difference. Um, that said, he, he's not someone that I've bought into as having uh, upside uh, so much as a lot of other people have. Um, he's got a really good curveball, and he's, he's been adopting, uh, I believe, a second breaking ball uh, as well. But he, he's uh, the kind of pitcher that I don't, I don't necessarily know if there's uh, a ton of upside to build on on top of what he's done so far. I, I'd like to see the ability to have more than a strikeout printing, but I, I don't think I've necessarily seen it yet. Um, this injury is obviously um, disappointing, but uh, at least it's it's in the elbow and not the shoulder, which uh, in general for me is a little bit more encouraging. Um, another injury, Juan Soto to the injured list. Heard a couple different things on this. I believe the one that MLB Trade Rumors uh, reported was uh, back spasms. But um, any thoughts on Juan Soto? Um, you know, this is a Washington Nationals team uh, really quick that 
uh, last year at this time, I don't know if they were all active, but last year at this time had Anthony Rendon, uh, Bryce Harper, and Trey Turner, uh, and maybe even Juan Soto by this point. And now all four of those guys, I don't know if Rendon came back recently, but I believe all four of those guys uh, are now either on the injured list or, in Harper's case, in Philadelphia. So uh, this Nationals team is hurting a little bit. Uh, any any thoughts on Soto or the Nationals? Yeah, uh, it's funny you said that. I had it written down. Uh, Rendon is still out, and then uh, Adams also just hit the DL after uh, Ryan Zimmerman hit the DL not too long ago. So Matt Adams gets hurt seven days, I think, after Ryan Zimmerman hit the DL. Um, so that, that, that doesn't help. Uh, so injuries has been a concern for that team already this year, uh, not to mention that they lost Harper. So And Juan, Juan Soto is just a really, really good ball player. I mean, uh, he – he. let's see what he had this year. Uh, this year, you know, he's got six home runs already. 22 RBIs has been the most uh, impressive part of what he's done this year, I think, in just 28 games played. Um, he does strike out a little bit. He's got 32 Ks and 105 at bats. Um, from what I hear and what I read is, um, I'm, and I'm hoping this is true, it, it sounded like a minor um, back injury, which we hope that those reports are true. Um, like you said, back spasms, uh, keeping him out hopefully no more than 10 days or so on what they're they're allotted now with the uh, the uh, DL rules. So. Uh, he is a really, really good ball player, and it would be very unfortunate if he starts to become uh, injury prone, which I don't think he will be. But uh, you always got to keep an eye on the back because it's a pretty uh, important piece of the human body, of course. Yeah, you know, I'm not overreacting to this, but um, and and just but just because we, we're bringing it up right now, it is. I think an accurate statement to say that a back injury is one of the scarier ones to have. Now, just having a little spasm at 20 years old or 21, whatever whatever age he is, I don't think is necessarily indicative of anything. But it is an injury, I think, more so than most that can be degenerative, so to speak. We saw, we've seen this over the past few years with like a Clayton Kershaw. You know, it was just. Uh, back spasms and a couple missed innings, and then back spasms and a couple missed innings, and then back spasms and a couple miss more missed innings, uh, until we got to the point where uh, the back injury was such that we just said, well, uh, at best you're getting like the 130 uh, back spasm Clayton Kershaw injuries, and and that's really been something that's taken down uh, in many ways, uh, you know one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. He's one of the best pitchers I've ever seen, you know, him from the left side and Verlander from the right side since, uh, you know, maybe the start of 2000. And uh, he's missed a, a primary portion of, of his prime due to these degenerative back issues. Um, you know, I'm I'm not at all putting Soto in the same category. Um, but if the back issues do become um, – I'm trying to think of the word I want to use here, but uh, recurring, uh, and, and we see them multiple times in the next couple of years, uh, it is something that we do need to pique our interest about, uh, even at a young age, because, again, it, it's something that uh, can be can be degenerative. Um, any any last thoughts on, on how the, the Nationals, uh, or if the Nationals have a chance of surviving in this tough division race uh, as, as their, their players keep dropping off or, or do you, do you think they can have these guys like uh, Carter Kibun step up 
and and make this 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 race? Yeah, I think they can. I mean, and the reason I say that is just based off of the pitching staff that they've got. Um, and, you know, they still got Strasburg there and a couple other guys that they can hopefully lean on as long as they can stay healthy. I mean, Strasburg's got some history of injuries as well, but uh, I, I think they can. I think they can piece it together and, and ride out that pitching staff till they get healthy, um, hopefully get Ryan Zimmerman and Adams and Rendon back here soon. Um, I think it's a really good team, but you're right. It's a very, very difficult uh, division now with Atlanta and the Mets and, I mean, the Phillies. I mean, it's loaded otherwise than, than the Marlins is really the only bottom feeder in that team, in that division anymore. So uh, it'll, they've got their hands full because uh, the Phillies are tough and the Braves are tough. So, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if they can make it. I hope they do just based on um, uh, the pitching that they do throw out there every day. Yeah, all that sounds good. Um, another injury, um, someone that was brought in to this team to try to try to bolster the, the top end of the rotation, uh, James Paxton hits the injured list. Uh, I'm an owner of James Paxton in, in one particular dynasty league, and, and this is uh, uh, particularly harmful for me in that league as I'm already uh, bleeding in terms of innings and, and wins and strikeouts. But um, enough about that. Uh, in terms of the actual Yankees, this might give uh, an extended shot to some of those younger guys. Um, but do you have any thoughts on, on the injury once again, uh, or, or Paxton himself, either in terms of uh, the injury performance or, or replacements for, for Paxton of the Yankees? Yeah, I think this I think this hurts the Yankees a lot, honestly. I mean, Paxton's been really good for them. Uh, he's pitched uh, 32 innings, and he's had 52 strikeouts. I mean, that's those are pretty legit numbers there, and he's got a three and two record. Uh, ERA's been really solid at three eleven. Um, what I'm reading, he's out at least three weeks, um, and, and that hurts. Uh, right now, the Yankees surprisingly are in second place behind not Boston, but Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay is is young, and they've got uh, they've got endurance. I mean, they're they're young and dumb basically, which can be good. They don't know. Um, what it's like to, to play a full season and they're going as hard as they can and and, and they're going to be good as, as long as the Yankees and Boston keep scuffling they, they could be it could be legit um, who knows if they'll end up winning the division but uh, I mean Paxton's injury is is big for this team and hopefully it's not it's not a, a big long injury for them I mean they're somewhat um, I don't want to say uh, they don't have a lot of pitching, but, you know, it's not one of their strong points, I don't think. Their starting pitching is not uh, something you write home about. So, I mean, he, you know, he was brought in to be almost that ace for that team, and uh, they need him to be healthy. And when he is healthy, uh, he's a game changer for that team, I believe. He's a lefty. He throws pretty good stuff and strikes out a lot of batters. So, I mean, hopefully he's not out too long and uh, it doesn't impact the Yankees too much, nor your your fantasy team the way it sounds. Yeah, you know, the Yankees made two uh, major left-handed acquisitions. Uh, ba- Paxton was obviously the, the name that stuck out to everybody, but they also brought in uh, J.A. Happ. And um, I think a lot of Yankees fans, uh, a lot of fans, people in general, kind of scoff at Happ, Happ a little bit. Um, 
And I think it's a little unwarranted because really when you look at what he's done the past four years, he has been consistently solid uh, in, in a number of variables in terms of uh, innings pitched, innings pitched uh, per start. Uh, his ERAs have been solid all four years uh, or each of the last four years. He's been absolutely terrible uh, for the most part this year or at least struggling a good deal uh, and hasn't been uh, worth the price of admission, so to speak, uh, for these Yankees. Uh, I think there's a chance he turns it around, but at the same time, uh, as much as I am a defender of Jay Happ, there, there is something to be said about, you know, at a certain age you can just go to a different team and not find what you you had before. Perhaps uh, at least over 36. I believe he is 36, uh, but he, he is no younger. Um, and uh, it, it wouldn't surprise I think anybody if he was um, done at that level. Um, that said, I think he's a little underrated from the past four years. Um, the reports I'm seeing on James Paxton specifically uh, on, on MLB trade rumors once again do say specifically. Um, that they're saying no, uh, a maximum of three weeks. So it seems like they're uh, fairly confident that, that Paxton will be back fairly shortly. Uh, uh, jo- Jonathan Loizaga, uh is the person who I believe is expected to take his place. Um, Loizaga is a pitcher that I've been in, interested in in the past. Um, he, he's somebody who um, does ca- carry with him the caution um, – uh, of being someone who has some blow-up tendencies, um, can, can completely miss the strike zone uh, and, and surrender a lot of walks. Um, but at the same time, uh, he, he's an intriguing starter um, with a fair amount of upside. Um, uh, on the opposite side of the James Paxton uh, transaction for the Yankees, uh, we had Miguel Andujar uh, activated fairly recently. Uh, any thoughts on, on either Andujar uh, or uh, if you have anything uh, on Jonathan Luizaga. Andy Har is, uh was one that had me worried, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I have him in the Champions League that I play in here. Um, in, in last year, he was great. I mean, he was he was great. We, we Our team picked him fairly early in this year's draft. Um, and what's been alarming is the reports on his shoulder. Um Way it sounds there for a while, it was 50 50 um, that they were uh, debating on whether to have season engine surgery on that shoulder. Um, and thankfully for many uh, fantasy baseball teams, including mine out there, that didn't happen, at least not as of yet. It's still very early. Um, but uh, it sounds like it's pretty a serious deal there, and, and, and hopefully it doesn't interfere with the rest of the season. I mean, the guy is a, a, last year was one of the best third basemen in the league. I mean, he 27 bombs, 92 RBIs. I mean, um, he, he played almost every day, played 149 games. So, um, but you know, he plays third base and you've got to have a healthy throwing arm to play third base. Um, so for him in the long term, you just, you hope that it's nothing, nothing too serious. Uh, Cause he's a very good player and he'll hurt, um, many many rosters, including the Yankees, if they lose him, I mean that's uh, getting him back. I think was big for the Yankees after losing Paxton. You you lose one, but you get one back, and I think that that can help with the team morale a lot, and and hopefully it'll it'll keep that team moving uh, forward. 
Yeah, he uh, he came back uh, fairly recently. Uh, bad to clean up as recently as this Saturday. So you know he's getting a, a high priority and a high high lineup or in a good lineup uh, r- rather or a lineup that we expect to get better and better um, as it becomes more and more healthy. Um, but but while I'd like to really buy into it. Um, and while I hate to say it for everyone's fantasy teams and, and for the New York Yankees, I mean, this, this shoulder is scary to me. Um, I do believe he has, and when I say has, I, I do mean present tense. I think he has a partially torn labrum. I think the idea is that they're going to play play through it maybe or that it's not a bad enough tear um, that, they, that they think that's a possibility. But um, my my big concern isn't necessarily – even that, you know, I think sometimes when we think of injuries, especially when we think casually, we can think too one-dimensionally about re-injury. I think re-injury could happen. I think what I'm more worried about uh, is that the shoulder somehow comes into effect uh, with his ability to generate power and that we don't see him uh, generate the power that that we even see. Uh, and, th- and that's particularly scary to me for Miguel Andujar because he's not a hitter that takes blocks. Um, so if he's not generating uh, the hard contact or if there's something wrong with his swing, he's not the kind of guy who's um, being very adept at, at winning battles uh, with his eye against starting pitchers. Um, so, you know, it all comes down to, you know, listen, these doctors know, I I neither uh, know what Miguel Andujar's, you know, MRI looks like, uh, nor would I know uh, what it meant if I was looking at it right now. So, you know, they, they, ha- they have professional doctors with, the New York Yankees organizations. Uh, they know what they're talking about. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this move uh, seems to be made from the perspective not of necessarily, and I don't mean to put this in the wrong way, but every every now and then you do make risks and not necessarily in what's the best move for the long-term future uh, of Miguel Andujar uh, necessarily, but uh, what kind of a risky move can we make to try to continue to win baseball games uh, as that's what we currently need to do uh, as an organization if these guys keep getting hurt. Um, I, I don't know uh, if you have any anything more to add on, on this Yankee situation before we get to a couple more minor, minor things. No, well, I fully agree with you. I mean, um, you're right. There are professional doctors. They know what they're doing, and we obviously don't And when it comes to the health of a player. But I'll be quite honest with you. I was thoroughly surprised, you know, game one, and they game two, I mean, they had no plans to putting him at DH at all. I mean, it sounds like it's third base for this young man no matter what, um, which surprises me. You know, a lot of teams will ease their players back in. I mean, uh, Cleveland Indians with Francisco Lindor alone, I mean, they've really eased him back in and, and giving him some days off and putting that DH. And um, I was a little surprised that they said, you know, game one game two I mean he's he's our third baseman which I get it he's great when he's healthy but I mean you also got to think long term here uh what good does it do if he comes back and plays five games and then completely blows his shoulder out I mean and and he's done for at least a year and and maybe some of next year so uh, I think it's something worth keeping an eye on it and hopefully uh the Yankees don't overdo it with him uh too quickly that's just my personal opinion and my my worries that I have 
Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that I saw when I was flipping through his page too um, because I was curious about it. Uh, to some extent, I kind of expected them to bring him back as a first-base DH only at least uh, for a little bit uh, in terms of maybe one one step in this rehabilitation. Uh, from one standpoint, it shows uh, an immense confidence that they're that they're putting him in third base and in, in multiple games and back-to-back games at third base uh, so early. But at the same time, it also does make you wonder uh, if there's a potential for stress there, uh, and that you know, like like does happen in a lot of these cases when when players uh, put off surgery, uh, that that surgery ends up uh, being, for lack of a better word, inevitable. Um, but we'll move on. A couple minor a uh, couple minor moves. Uh, this one I meant to add to and bring up with alongside the Reds, but um, they they called up uh, a, an infielder by the name of Josh Van Meter. Um, he's 24 years old, bats left-handed. Um, he was a fringe five prospect on Fangrass, which is an article that they make uh, about some fringy prospects, for lack of a better word. Um, came out firing so far in AAA this year. In 30 games played, he has 13 home runs, um, almost a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk rate. Uh, is is a little old for the league, but not incredibly old for the league. He's 24 and a young 24. Um, he also plays, I believe, second base, so there's a chance that he, he slides into Jeanette's role, uh, at least until Jeanette comes back, um, or at least gets some opportunities in, in the majors. Um, he's not someone I know much about outside of this Fangraphs page personally, um, but he is someone that that I think, uh, especially when you consider, you know, I, I like to believe, uh, some people will dismiss this idea, but I like to believe that a hot hitter uh, is, is a real and legitimate thing. And, and whether or not Josh Bandmeter uh, is good enough at this point of his career to even present the stats uh, consistently that he showed in AAA so far, um, I think that he might be locked in the zone right now um, that could make him an instantly intriguing hitter uh, just based on what we've seen from him so far. Um, and he looks like he might have an opportunity in that Reds infield. Again, it's just it's, – it's not someone I'm paying for, but if the entry cost is free, you know, this isn't the prospect people were touting. Uh, these first 30 games have really changed some things. Uh, for Van Mater in terms of his value. So uh, he's someone uh, worth keeping an eye on. Um, uh, and then the other name uh, on the more minor side of things, uh, Tyler O'Neill, someone that, that some people have some, some faith in, some upside in, uh, feel like he's got a, a good amount of power. I agree, uh, although there are uh, some downsides in the profile as well uh, in terms of his strikeout rate and such. Uh, he's been sent to AAA by the St. Louis Cardinals, I believe, as well. Um, any thoughts on either of these two guys, uh, uh, both NL Central guys, uh, and, and what they could have in potential value either for their teams uh, or in our fantasy leagues? Well, uh, Josh Van Meter, I mean, that's that's interesting you brought him up. I mean, I actually had the opportunity of watching him play when he was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, with the the Tin Caps on the in the San Diego Padres system. Um, he was a fairly ha- uh, high draft pick. Uh, he was drafted in the fifth round by San Diego, um, and he's from Owasi, Indiana, so not too far away from from Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I'm from currently. And um, it's a good story, to be honest with you. I mean, he's he's hitting. Hit the laces off the ball at AAA, like you said. 
which is very odd because throughout his minor league career, he's really never had true power numbers. So I think you're right. I mean, I think there is a lot of value to having a hitter on your roster that honestly is just hot right now. Um, and you know what? It might, he might cool off in a couple months, and uh, he might get sent back down to AAA. But you know what? For the next month and a half, if he hits like he's been hitting at the AAA level, why not bring him up and why not give him a chance? Um, he's still fairly young. He's only 24 years old. Um, he's listed as a second baseman. You're right. He could fill the gap for Jeanette. Um, so give him a chance. Let him play. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, I, when I was reaching, researching on him, um, fairly highly touted uh, prospect for the Cardinals. Um, but this year, you know, he's only had 38 at-bats. Um, but one scary thought is he's had 18 strikeouts and 38 at-bats. So that's that's very high. Um, the reports that I read basically said that they wanted him to go back down to AAA and get everyday at-bats, um, get into a routine get back, maybe gain some confidence. And I'm assuming probably sooner before later, he'll make a, a, a call up here to the Cardinals uh, once they've had some, um, you know, injuries or moving parts that, that happen throughout the year. I'm sure we'll see him back in a Cardinals uniform. Um, and I, I would hope, hopefully at that point, he can go back down to AAA and get some confidence, get some everyday at-bats. And, and honestly, that, that says a lot for a player just going and getting everyday at bats it's it's very difficult for a person uh to sit on the bench you know five six days out of the week and then get one start a week or get called to pinch hit i mean uh pinch hitting is a very difficult thing for any hitter to do um and, and i i think he just needs to get some at bats he'll be fine yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, at one point in his minor league career, uh, really in his last major minor league stint where he hit 26 home runs, uh, he was walking 10% of the time, uh, this is Tyler O'Neill, uh, walking, <coughs> excuse me, walking 10% of the time with a 24.9% strikeout rate, um, and that is in the minor leagues, um, but at the same time, I think it, it shows at least a decent approach, you know, um, does a, does a K rate, depending on the player, uh, Spiking from 24.9% to 40.1% surprised me all that much. No, I mean, some hitters do absolutely get exposed uh, when they get up to that major league level. But what does surprise me uh, is going from a guy who once had a 10.6 to 24.9% rate, uh, which is about 1 to, you know, 1 to 2, 1 to 2.5, uh, down to what this year is 2.6 to 46.2. Uh, in raw numbers, 18 strikeouts, and only one walk. That's just a little surprising to me. Uh, you know, I think he needs to may, – maybe he can't pick up on certain pitches. Maybe that really is the thing, and, and this is who he is. But, you know, I think there's also a chance that, that with further development, uh, we see some, some further improvement uh, out of Tyler O'Neill. Uh, and then um, back to Josh Van Meter, like, uh, yeah, uh, in terms of – being a hot hitter, you know, first off, this is a guy who has 24 home runs uh, and 10 stolen bases so far in his AAA career. Um, now, that's not a, a huge sample size, and it, it's not necessarily the, the best sample to go off of, but what it does say is that, um, you know, just like Nathaniel Lowe's getting all this credit uh, as a prospect from, from the Rays, who's had an underrated year uh, as an older prospect, well, well Josh Vanmeter might have actually – uh, some even more intriguing uh, position upside. He might have some even more uh, 
uh, intriguing upside in general. Um, and he, you know, he plays on in this Reds team. It's going to be solid for him in terms of uh, hitting for power. Uh, should potentially open up some things, uh, or, or at least in terms of what his his overall potential could be. Um, I think that's the the end of our list in terms of uh, the news and, and and the injured list for this this week. Uh, but is there is there any um, major um, injury or, or news related topic that that sticks out to you, Kyle? Um, the only other injury that I can think of is uh, Corey Kluber's injury for the Indians. Um, that one kind of pops up after he got hit on a line drive back at him um, last his last start, which was earlier this week. Um, all reports I'm seeing is that this is a major injury. Um, he's been already told that he's sitting out at least four weeks before they reevaluate everything. Um, the worst part about it is he, you know, he's got a small fracture, at least what we know now, on his throwing arm. I mean, if it wasn't his throwing arm, I don't think it would be as big of a deal, but um, when you use your arm like a pitcher does every day, uh, it's kind of a big deal. So uh, from an Indians perspective, it's a it's a huge hit because they've already lost uh, Clevenger earlier this year, um, and this team did not invest in their offense whatsoever or their bullpen whatsoever. They nickel and dimed it and put Band-Aids over scabs, hoping that it would get better. Uh, depending on their starting pitching, they were going to lean heavily upon that. Um, but when you lose your top two horses and it's not even, uh, you know, it's just turned May, uh, it's, it's not good. Uh, not good at all, especially when the Minnesota Twins are playing good baseball right now. So I think that injury has been kind of underrated, uh, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was last week with, with Brian or, or on Thursday with uh, Kyle Amore, but um, we, we talked about the and got into the Kluber injury um, just a little bit. You know, he, he caught that comebacker um, in his throwing arm. Obviously, not something you want to see, and it's also disappointing from the standpoint of um, this is a guy that I think we were looking forward to potentially putting it together after uh, a rough start, having a turnaround. Um, at least that's that's what I was uh, encouraged by and hoping that I, I would see as we move forward through the year. Um, it looks like there's at least a chance um, that, well, I mean, we will be for the short term, and, and I think there's at least a chance that for the long term uh, we might not get a chance to see that happen in 2019. Um, before we move on and, and discuss a few more things, uh, such as uh, some, some April performances, uh, and look forward to some, some weekday series. I'd like to once again remind our audience about our partner, Thrive Fantasy, uh, who offers a different model for the daily fantasy game, uh, offering prop bets uh, instead of salary. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, go to thrivefantasy.com or go to majorleaguefantasy.com and click the Thrive Fantasy link. Put in the promo code MLFS. And they will match your first ten dollars. Uh, that's thrivefantasy.com and the promo code MLFS. And if you like the work we do here, go to patreon.com/majorleaguefantasysports. That's patreon.com/majorleaguefantasysports. Um, now, uh, I think the, the the first thing I want to get to is uh, for for the surprising April performances, uh, players who have piqued your interest. 
uh, potentially failed to live up to expectations, uh, have exceeded your expectations. Um, who are your surprise April performers, Kyle? Well, um, the first one I've got is uh, Elvis Andrews uh, with Texas. Um, he has been a very nice surprise. And don't get me wrong, he's never been a bad ball player by any means. But the offense that he put up in April has been just very, very good. Um, he hit 330. He's hitting 333. Um, he's got five home runs. He's got 23 RBIs. Those are really good numbers for a guy that, um, you know, in his career has not always been known for his bat. Um, he's he's never he's hit 20 home runs once, but other than that, he's never topped over 10 home runs. So, um, you know, to have five home runs in the April and early May, I mean, that's pretty impressive for a shortstop like him. Hitting 333, he's a career 276 hitter. hitter. Um, so those numbers have been pleasant. He's got six stolen bases. Um, right now in a points league, uh, he's on my team. He's he's had uh, an average of 3.93 uh, points per game, which is very, very good for um, any hitter, yet alone a shortstop. You don't see many shortstops outside of uh, Lindor or Turner really putting up those kind of numbers. Um, I don't know for many owners out there, but I know I drafted him. Um, I know it was mid to late rounds um, just as a filler. So um, he's been a very nice, pleasant surprise. That's my first one. Um, kind of a dud surprise that for me has been, uh, we've talked about him already, uh, Puig in Cincinnati. Um, I know for myself included, I've <laughs> I drafted him in two of my leagues, and he has been uh, so far a big bust. I mean, from where I drafted him, um, which was early in the draft. Um, you know, he's starting to maybe come around a little bit. Um, Friday and Saturday, he went five for nine. He hit a home run, scored three runs, I believe. Um, but, you know, he struck out 31 times. He's not a guy that's going to walk. Um, he's only hitting 205 right now. He's got pop, five homers, 17 RBIs. Those are decent numbers. But on a team like we've talked about that has so much depth in the outfield, um, you know, you wonder if, how, if he's going to start to maybe lose a little bit of playing time eventually with how much depth they've got over there in Cincinnati. Um, I, for me personally, I hope he turns it around and hopefully, like I said, Friday and Saturday, maybe that was a starting point for him uh, to somewhat turn it around. Uh, my final one that I've got, and I'll let you hit yours, uh, Matthew Boyd in, in Detroit. He has been very, very good. Um, he's had seven starts. Six of them have been quality starts. Um, he's a lefty. He's struck out 57 batters in 44 innings. I, you know, he's not on a, a playoff team yet, and I'll say yet there, because um, I'm sure once Detroit starts to fade out a little bit, you might hear this name being brought up in some trade conversations for, uh, let's just say, for example, the Yankees, who – you know, maybe they want to add some more depth under their starting pitching, um, or if somebody loses another starting pitcher. I mean, this this is a guy that uh, could bring in some decent prospects in return for a team that's uh, looking to potentially make a playoff push. So hopefully he can keep it up. I know in the points league he's averaging 20.16 uh, per start, which is excellent. And um, those are my three April studs so far. Duds and duds. Yeah, you uh, 
you bring up Matt Boyd being a potential trade option for the Yankees. Uh, how about the Philadelphia Phillies? Um, you know, they came into this this year with Nick Pivota's turnaround being uh, a major focal point of, of their rotation. So far, that hasn't happened. Um, and while most things in April, you can't uh, make a big stink over necessarily. When a guy gets optioned, uh, you start to think about it as a, a less likely option for, for October play when you're trying to be at the highest level. You know, the guys they're relying on right now are largely guys like Ikoff, Velasquez, Afflin, uh, in terms of at least behind Aaron Nola. They have Aaron Nola, but behind him there's a lot of question marks. Uh, that's a team I expect uh, to dig in and look for, for one of these guys, uh, or Matt Boyd, uh, and one of these other potential arms that could be on the market, um, like a Robbie Ray uh, or a Madison Bumgardner, um, if some of those names in the NL West uh, become sellers. Uh, you know, I could see a team like the Phillies being uh, one of the teams that, that strikes uh, and looks for rotation help. Um, you know, the thing about Elvis Andrews is uh, the year before he, he got hurt, um, 2017, he had a really good year. He had, he had a breakout year uh, in terms of offensive performance in a lot of ways. Uh, and it was hard to know at this age uh, and at this quality of career if we were going to see um, Elvis Andrews be a player who uh, showed us that he was that player or, or whether he was that player or not back then. Uh, if the injury, um, the age, uh, if maybe that had just captured one section of his peak. Um, this year seems to be furthering the argument um, that he is a very good hitter, that he's an improved hitter, um, that he's a hitter that, that through his years in baseball uh, has been getting better and better. Um, and, and instead of, you know, reaching a peak at, at like 25, 26, 27, uh, at a physical peak, uh, he's reaching a peak at closer to 28, 29, 30, um, at, at its kind of tactic uh, skills peak, uh, and I think we're we're actually kind of seeing that. You know, maybe it is just a little bit of a small sample, um, but you know, I mean, you can say small sample all you want. Uh, he had 20 home runs in 2017, and, and while five uh, in 2019 is is only five, even if it's a good sample, um, that that five is more than he hit in 2014. It's more than he hit in 2013, 2012. Uh, the same number he hit in 2011. He didn't hit a single home run in 2010. Um, you know, so I mean, this is a hitter who who consistently has shown us the ability uh, ability to improve, and, and his 200 isolated power uh, is the best we've ever seen in his career, uh, and, and close up there with the 174 mark uh, that he had two years ago with the Rangers. And then, and then Puig's case, you know, um, you know, if you're in a five by five league, I'm not saying that you should be happy with Puig because you definitely shouldn't, but. A fifth of the way through the season, he's got five home runs and four stolen bases. You know, he, he's pacing out a 25-20 season. It's just the fact that he has that low 200 batting average um, that obviously you're, you're concerned about. And he doesn't walk a lot, but he's a guy who's walked a fair amount uh, each of the last two years. Uh, and, and throughout his career, he's at least been uh, closer to a league average walker. Uh, and we haven't even seen that yet, you know, um, there's a concept that gets uh, bandied about uh, that I c- completely believe in. Um, I think it has a bit of old school tendencies, but uh, Eno Saris of The Athletic does some kind of new school research when it comes to the concept of pressing. Um, and, and what pressing is is essentially just being overly aggressive for one reason or another. Um, and some of the reasons that, that I believe we see hitters uh, press the most commonly 
uh, is that, you know, they're, they're going to new teams, which Puig is, or potentially uh, they're on a contract year, which, you know, Puig is. Um, and, and, and these are the kind of things I think that can get a player to press. Um, so, so Puig's a guy who I think uh, is pressing right now, um, while at the same time showing us that uh, the reason for all this offseason hype um, was kind of legitimate because through all his struggles, 25 home runs, 20 stolen base pace is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, any any last thoughts on, on some of those guys before I uh, look at some leaderboards and maybe give a couple guys of my own? Uh, no, I think I think you kind of hit on the head. You know, uh, most of my perspectives are coming from a points league, and and Elvis Andrews is he's been really good. And I, I just I think you're right. I mean, he's shown steady growth in every year that he's he's been a major league ball player from a hitting perspective. We know his gloves there, um, and the power numbers are are starting to show. And I I really hope that he can continue to keep that up. Texas has been better than what I I thought they would be. Um, he's become more of a leader on that team, more of an established veteran, which is crazy to think about it, but he's been in the league already, I think about 10 years so far. So, um, no, I, I think you hit it on the head with all your, your, your thoughts there. So we can definitely move on. All right. Sounds good. Um, well, just a couple of standout players so far, I'm going to go a little bit off the deep end for a couple of them. Um, Hunter Dozier is a player I've seen talked about quite a bit. Um, I'm sorry, I decided to look by sorting by OPS and seeing some names uh, that stick out. Um, Hunter Dozier is currently uh, now up to third in OPS. Uh, he he didn't uh, qualify right away because he wasn't a full-time starter to start the year, um, but at this point he's up there within 1,100 uh, OPS. And you know the real question with Hunter Dozier is can he keep walking like this? Uh, you know, me and Kyle Morey talked about it on the show uh, a couple weeks ago uh, when he first started started breaking out because, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know if I believe it yet. Um, but first off, I think the the first question I have to ask myself is if I do believe it, uh, do I believe he can be this? Um, and, and Hunter Dozier is a guy who has absolutely always killed the ball. He, he's he's hit the ball hard. He seems to do damage. Um, what he has seemed to, to struggle to do is in his approach. Um, so, you know, if I can buy into the legitimacy of this 15.2% walk rate uh, and, and this 20% strikeout rate, um, you know, that, that, that would be huge. Um, I don't necessarily think he'd have an 1,100 OPS, but I think Hunter Dozier could be uh, a, a very legitimate hitter. Um, Javier Baez is just interesting because uh, in the top 14 hitters, no one has below a 10% walk rate uh, in the OPS leaders. Yeah, yet uh, Javier Baez sits alone at 5.1%, almost half that 10% threshold, uh, and is ninth in OPS uh, among all the walkers in the league. Uh, he, he's still doing it. Uh, he, he's still maximizing uh, the potential uh, of the the mistakes he gets, uh, and so long as he continues to do that, he can continue to put up these kind of numbers. Uh, I've been slow to accept Javier Baez. I think he still has the potential to be highly variable, but man, uh, he has been absolutely uh, stunning so far this year. Uh, once again, um, frequent followers of me or followers of this show know that I am a, a massive fan of Jorge Polanco of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, I think he's in in the midst of an, uh, an excellent breakout season. Uh, he's 14th in the league in OPS right now, um, three three thirteen average, 
switch hitter. I think he still needs to improve on, uh, from the right side of the plate against left-handed pitchers. Um, but his approach against righties and his ability to dominate righties, I think, is uh, is really starting to shine through this year. Um, still 25 years old. Uh, and then one more player in, in the top 15 um, that, that stuck out to me uh, in terms of OPS uh, would be Trey Mancini. Now, uh, Mancini, I think, slowed down a little bit, so to speak, but he still has a 336 average. Uh, he's still right underneath Polanco and, and 15th. Uh, in terms of OPS in the league. Um, still isn't a, a high-level walker, 8.2% walk percentage. Um, you know, still has a couple uh, flaws, I'd say, but seems to be maximizing a bit better uh, on, on mistakes and, and leaning off of pitches that he used to just simply uh, drive into the dirt. Um, do you have anything uh, that sticks out to you about either Hunter Dozier, Javier Baez, uh, or Jorge Polanco, or Trey Mancini? Well, with Baez, I'll be honest, I've never really been a big fan of his. Um, I didn't think that he would be this good, to be quite honest with you, the way he started there in Chicago. and But, you know, last couple of years, he's really been starting to put it together and, and become quite the the all-star that a lot of people thought he would be. And, um, I mean, that's very helpful for Chicago. They, they could use it over there and – um, Hunter Dozier, I mean, he's been a very pleasant surprise. I mean, let's let's be honest, he's on a bad team in Kansas City, but that's good for him because he's going to get a chance to play. And sometimes guys just need a chance to play. Um, you know, there's so many guys that, for whatever reason, they're they're buried on the depth chart and they're just never going to get a shot. And sometimes only all these guys need is a chance. And and so far, he's making the best out of his opportunity. Um, in the points league, he's, he's averaging 4.11 a game, which is stellar. Um, Manzini is, has been a nice, pleasant surprise. He's also kind of like uh, in the same boat as Dozier. I mean, he's on a bad team, um, and he's getting an opportunity on a bad team, which helps him personally. And, and honestly, it could help out Baltimore or it could help Kansas City with Dozier because these guys now will bring trade value, uh, which – both those franchises are in rebuild mode, so they're going to be starting to look for ways to uh, to get their minor league systems back to where they need to be. And, and to do that, sadly, you have to play the trade game, and you can move guys that are kind of coming out of nowhere and have some trade value when they might not have had it two or three years ago. So um, I, I love all four of your, your, your picks there. I think you did a very good job, and um, I, I hopefully uh, – Dozier can keep this up and Baez as well. Yeah, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna throw up really quick a couple names on the pitching side of things. So I'm trying to find a good way to sort through through these rankings uh, because I, I'm going by WAR right now, but but pitching WAR isn't something that I particularly like using. Um, but uh, in terms of some of the top 25. Uh, Marcus Stroman, the guy who sticks out completely, hasn't allowed a home run in 41 innings yet this year. Uh, yeah, there's probably a little bit of fluke in that, but he's also a guy who, who gets ground balls uh, at a very uh, high rate. Uh, Luis Castillo has looked phenomenal this year, uh, 10K9, uh, and has allowed less than uh, one home run per 18 – or has le- allowed, yeah, less than one home run per 18 innings uh, with a home run per nine other .5 uh, and doing that in, in the Red Stadium. So so that's uh, 
fairly impressive. Uh, Joe Musgrove's a guy uh, who's who's been solid throughout his career in terms of limiting walks uh, and limiting home runs. So far this season, he he's been really strong, uh, and really uh, his two six three probably comes with some overall fortune if you're looking at his numbers from uh, a regression standpoint. But but from watching him pitch. Uh, he's also had some some misfortune in terms of things like you know coming out of games and having inherited runner score uh, at least in in one anecdotal case that I can think of uh, early on in the season. And then Caleb Smith is a guy uh, on, on the Marlins who's striking out guys uh, at, at a very high level. Um, you know he he recently absolutely tore through the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, has a two flat ERA in his first 36 innings so far. Uh, can still struggle a little bit with building some some high counts, and I don't necessarily know if he's uh, as good as some of his numbers on paper say right now. But Caleb Smith's a guy that I've liked for a long time now, and uh, I love seeing him uh, perform at this high of a level. Um, Matthew Boyd, who, who who obviously we've talked about in the segment already, uh, does happen to be the number one pitcher in pitching war right now. But uh, any any quick thoughts or, or last second thoughts before we move on to the next section? On any of those guys, like like Strowman, uh, Luis Castillo, Joe Musgrove, Caleb Smith. Yeah, Caleb Smith. Um, he's been good. You're right, and, and honestly, it kind of goes back to what I just said a little bit ago. It's a guy on a bad team that's getting an opportunity to play, and he's been really, really good this year. I mean, but last year, you know, he started 16 games. He wasn't bad. You know, he had 88 strikeouts, 77 innings pitched. He was more or less a guy that in most of my leagues that I played in, it was the guy that you would see picked up um, on waivers when, when a team needed a starting pitcher, and he was usually there. Uh, this year, it's not the case. I mean, this year, he's definitely, I guarantee, on about everybody's roster already. Uh, he's locked down, and he won't go anywhere as long as he keeps pitching like he has been. But um, he's only walked nine guys in 36 innings, which you know it's not great by any means. But last year, he had 33 walks in 77 innings, so maybe he's starting to cut down on walks a little bit. Um, you hope that he can continue to play well, uh, but that's one that I really uh, enjoyed that you brought up. I think that he could be good um, from a perspective that he's going to get the chance to pitch every five days. Uh, he's on a bad team, and, um, you know, he, he could help them um, when it comes to eating up innings, which uh, they're going to need, to be quite honest with you, there in Miami. Yeah, bad team, but the the overall situation in Miami isn't awful uh, with a great park situation for Caleb Smith. And then, um, you know, a lot of people go back and forth with all these kinds of things with analytics and stuff. But but what I truly believe is is where analytics succeed the most is is if they can tell you, uh, you know, this is wrong or this is a flaw – um, and and we think you could do this better or do this differently or or make this change, such as um, telling a pitcher to throw more breaking balls or more fastballs or, or more off-speed pitches or focus on something different in the repertoire uh, would be one such example. Um, in, in Caleb Smith's case, uh, he, he had a lot of walks, and uh, what I think well, – what I heard about last year and what I heard a story about uh, anecdotally was that Basically, the the Miami Marlins uh, realized that he was missing a lot of bats uh, in the strike zone, um, and and that a lot of their their analytical data said that he was missing a lot of bats in the strike zone, uh, and they eventually just had to start convincing him um, that he shouldn't be pitching to avoid the strike zone, 
uh, that he should be pitching to attack the strike zone uh, because his stuff was good enough that he could live in the strike zone uh, and that the movement uh, would be good enough to, to be able to keep hitters off, get strikeouts, uh, and not have to worry about, about getting hammered because he's throwing strike after strike. And that's what a really good pitcher is. He, he's a guy who has that, that good stuff and, and can live, for the most part, in and around the strike zone and, and does have control. Don't get me wrong, but uh, there's something to be said about, about that willingness to attack uh, and, and buying into that willingness that I think has shown um, since the first few starts of 2018 uh, uh, an improvement for Caleb Smith in, in terms of his walks per nine. Um, so we'll move on to some weekday series stuff, some streamer stuff. Uh, we, we're about two-thirds of the way through the show, don't have a whole lot of time left. Uh, I know I didn't ask you this before the show about how you have your streamers organized, Kyle, but uh, if you have them by day, you can go ahead and throw out your Monday streamer. Uh, if you don't, you can just uh, let me know the guys you have, but uh, who you got for, for streaming options or, or interesting, intriguing pitching options uh, for this weekday, uh, Kyle? Uh, well, my first one is uh, for Monday. is It's Merrill Kelly from Arizona. Um he he's probably a guy that he's 50% owned in the points league I see through fan tracks. Um, so he's, he might not be there, but he's an intriguing pitcher for me. Um, he, he's, he's a rookie this year. It's the first time he's had any action in the big leagues. Uh, and he's pitched really well. He's kind of come out of nowhere for me. I mean, he's, he's got a, uh, he's averaging 10.72 points per start. Um, he's three and two with a 360 ERA. Um, and he, he's pitching on Monday, so there's a good chance he's going to pitch twice. And the first game is against Tampa Bay, which I know we've talked about earlier. They're they're playing really well, um, but he he's pitched well enough to give give them a chance. And he's probably going to pitch against the Braves this week too. Uh, so two difficult starts, but I've been intrigued by him um, from an owner standpoint. And if he's available on any of a roster, any of your free agent. Um, you might want to you might want to pick him up because I think he could continue to to be a decent pitcher this week. Yeah, Merrill Kelly's interesting. Uh, he was in the minor leagues, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, three or four or something like that, uh, and then he went and played internationally for the last few years, I believe. And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he played at the KBO, uh, the Korean Professional Baseball Organization. Um, and, and last year, he had one of the better ERAs in the league uh, and led the league in strikeouts. Uh, now, his ERA uh, didn't stick out on paper to a lot of people, um, but the KBO is a very hitter-friendly league. Um, and so I think we, we're seeing Merrill Kelly uh, in in this environment uh, kind of do pretty well the same way we see, you know, pitchers put up similar, uh, similarly great numbers at AAA and then come up to the majors and, and do pretty well. Uh, I think we're saying the same thing from Kelly uh, coming over uh, and pitching uh, after after spending the last uh, few years in, in, in Korea. Um, Monday, I think, was the hardest name to find names for. Um, the one name that, that I threw out there, according to, to the sheet I found, uh, was Anthony Desclafani. I don't know what his ownership percentage currently sits at, uh, and I know he, he might not be uh, necessarily a streamer for a lot of people, um, but for a guy uh, who pitches um, against some tough lineups in a tough ballpark, this one still comes uh, in San Francisco, um, but at least it, it comes against San Francisco, uh, a team that doesn't have 
the best lineup necessarily um, from from a DFS standpoint. I'm very interested in, in targeting uh, Cole Hamels against the Miami Marlins. That's a team uh, that is obviously someone you want to you want to stream against. Hamels isn't obviously a streamer, um, but in daily leagues you do have access to that matchup most likely. Um, and then similar, <coughs> excuse me, similar story. Uh, Max Fried of the Atlanta Braves going up against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, Dodgers are a tough lineup. They're also a fairly lefty-heavy lineup, though. Um, Max Fried will have, um, you know, to say it's an advantage is, is hard to say, but he will have the advantage against uh, potential hitters like Seager, Bellinger, Muncie, um, and, and all the other, you know, Verdugo, Jock Peterson, um, uh, lefties of, of the Dodgers. So so those are some intriguing matchups for Monday. Uh, you got anything for, for Tuesday, Kyle? Yeah, I know I'm going to butcher his name, but Lucas uh, Giolito, I think it is, is how you say it with uh, the White Sox. Um, I, I had him for my Tuesday, uh, basically because of his matchup and who it is. It's the it's against my team, the Cleveland Indians. Uh, but I'm going to be frank with you, the Cleveland Indians offense has been really bad. They strike out a ton. So if you're in a points league and you can pick him up, there's an opportunity for that to really add up because uh, there's a lot of Indian hitters that strike out multiple times within the games, or at least they have so far. So I think you could get a nice little pickup there, a guy that can get you 15, 20 points and a start. I mean, he's, he's two and one so far. ERA is not the greatest at 5.32. Um, you know, he was a guy that was highly touted not too long ago um, as a, a big prospect with, with Washington. And I know he came over in a trade, to Chicago thus far hasn't really lived up to expectations. Um, but you know what? I think he could come out and get you a, a nice start against the Cleveland Indians on Tuesday. Yeah, you know, I honestly think both sides of that matchup uh, give potential for streaming options. Uh, Lucas Giolito, um, you know, he, he's had some, some up and downs as someone who was at one point seen as a high level prospect. Um, but uh, on the other, and then on the other side, you have uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez, uh, who might not be a big name, um, but has had a couple of good starts so far this year. And, and while the Indians definitely have not invested in their um, offense, that what they have done uh, consistently over the last few years uh, is found a way to make the most out of their their pitchers and get them uh, even to to higher heights as well. Um, so you know, I'm not. Super interested in Rodriguez as a season-long value, but as these guys keep getting hurt, um, you know, other than the Twins, there is an advantage in being in the AL Central. I think the Twins have a pretty good, uh, an underrated offense, especially against right-handed pitching. Uh, but other than that, the AL Central is uh, a pretty weak offensive division uh, to go up against. Don't think it's as bad as last year. Um, but you know, I, I almost brought this up uh, at one point earlier. Um, but you know, the thing about the White Sox when you're talking about this going up against Jeffrey Rod- Jeffrey Rodriguez is, uh, you talk about all the, all the guys that they have that are playing better, uh, like like Moncada, and the fact that they actually have some guys in this lineup that are scary now, and I I completely believe it. Um, but at the same time, there's a reason why you say things uh, like in in terms of the Philadelphia Phillies, like a lineup can grow exponentially, um, because when you have black holes in your lineup. Uh, it, it can completely tank everything, no matter how many good hitters you have. Um, and, and when you're when you're throwing guys out there all the time, uh, like the White Sox do, that that are on the bottom half of that that 
lineup. Uh, it's just it, it, it makes it a good it makes it a good uh, matchup no matter what. Because yes, Moncada could blow you up. Uh, Tim Anderson, if he's playing, could could blow you up. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I I think the bottom half of the lineup still makes it uh, a matchup worth seeking out. Uh, so the, this Cleveland Indians uh, White Sox matchup, you know, um, especially from the Cleveland side of things most of these pitchers in this matchup are going to be owned uh but from a dfs perspective i expect this to be um a series uh worth streaming against uh so to speak um any, anything for wednesday kyle yeah i got um with the, the marlins uh jose urena i can't ever say his name either but um i've got him as my wednesday uh you know, it's, it's an okay matchup with the Cubs at the Cubs. Um, you just never know what you're going to get out of that Cubs offense. It could be really, really good, or it could be below average. So, I mean, um, and Jose, I mean, he's he's pitched fairly decent as of late. That was another reason I, I had him as a streamer. Uh, before his last start, you know, he had pitched seven innings, six innings, seven innings, and even his last start he went six innings. Um, so he had been getting better in, in the last three to four starts. Um, and he's only owned in 34% of leagues. Um, he's probably going to be available if you're looking for a spot guy on Wednesday. Uh, he could be your guy um, against the Cubs. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm a Cubs fan personally. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes it's because I'm a Cubs fan that I feel like it's frustrating. But I, I also think that in general, the Cubs might have one of the most frustrating offenses to stream for or stream against. I, I genuinely feel like they're an offense that um, has the players and the capacity uh, to put up a, a crooked number any time. And yet uh, for the last couple of years have not quite had the, the consistency uh, of most of the lineups that, that have that high end firepower uh, on a someday basis. Um, you know, the one thing I wrote about the Miami Marlins Cup series in, in, in my personal notes here is just that I, I do expect uh, somebody from this series to have an absolute dominant game in terms of Miami Marlins pitchers, and I expect someone to get absolutely shelled because I just feel like that's what the Cubs uh, are going to do to this rotation over the course uh, uh, of a four-game series. Um, a couple other guys I think worth potentially putting an eye on uh, on Wednesday. Don't know ownership percentage of Kyle Gibson, um, but he, you know, he's a pitcher that was solid last year, but he's not someone who stuck out. Uh, didn't come off to a particularly hot start, and I could see uh, him being someone who was dropped in a number of leagues as well. So, you know, I don't know uh, particular league settings that might involve Kyle Gibson, but at Toronto has been a pretty good start so far this year. Uh, you know, they do have Vlad Guerrero now, but uh, so far that hasn't been something that's been particularly terrifying uh, in terms of a streaming or start-to-start basis. Uh, and then mentioned him earlier, uh, Jonathan Loisiga, um, New York Yankee starting pitcher with a lot of upside, a lot of talent. Not necessarily someone you do want to stream, even though I think the Mariners are a pretty solid matchup right now. Um, you know, it, it, it's still he's still a guy who can blow up against anybody because his biggest issue is um, consistently himself right now in terms of his uh, control and such. Uh, but he has the kind of stuff and upside that, that make him intriguing to me. Um, and, and I like watching him pitch at, at the very least uh, when he finds his way into the majors. Um, why don't you uh, go ahead and, 
and lead us into Thursday, Kyle. Yeah, I've got uh, Trevor Cahill for Thursday um, with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, don't get me wrong, hasn't had a very good year thus far with them, uh, or really kind of throughout his career. But, you know, he's got a decent matchup with Detroit. Um, uh, they're, they're at Detroit, uh, but I could see him potentially coming together and, and putting a decent uh, start together against them. Um, it's a it's a roster that is is young. They're rebuilding, um, so it could be an opportunity. He's going to be available. I, I'm showing he's owned by a very small percentage of, of owners and, and fan tracks. So uh, again, it's kind of one of those boomer busts, and that's pretty much when it comes to uh, picking up a pitcher for you know that start of the day. You're you're always taking a flyer on guys and. More or less, I look at matchups and who they're pitching against, and I, I like the Detroit matchup for him. Yeah, Trevor Cahill is a guy who's been a little disappointing for me because I did have uh, a bit higher expectations than most coming into the season, uh, and he hasn't quite lived up to uh, those expectations as as of yet. Um, but what he has done is he's shown us the uh, fact that maybe these strikeouts that he's gotten in a slightly higher rate since last year on Oakland uh, aren't a complete fluke. He has managed to get a good number of those, and he has seemed to uh, get hit pretty hard um, by the good offenses, and that's not, you know, the case in this situation. Um, speaking of this matchup, um, you know, I have I have quite a few extra matchups, or at least a few extra matchups written down on this uh, paper, um, and I have both the Tuesday and the Thursday games uh, all around from, from this Detroit-LAA uh, series are intriguing to me. Um, on the Tuesday game, you have Daniel Norris, who I think is one of the least uh, intriguing to me of the series. But, you know, L.A. is is a decent offense to stream against, and so Norris will be throwing uh, there on Tuesday. The main one I'm intrigued on in that matchup is Griffin Canning uh, on the other side. Now, he, he's been added in a lot of leagues, and particularly a lot of leagues that are uh, hyperactive uh, with players. Uh, reaching out for high-level call-ups because he was a top 100 prospect on a number of lists. Um, you know, ERA-wise, didn't have a great debut, um, but did strike out four batters uh, in a row at one point during that game. Um, got some good swing and miss, got some good strikeouts, uh, and just seemed to fade a little bit towards the end. So, um, at the very least, uh, as long as that start holds true on Tuesday for Griffin Canning, uh, I'm very interested to at least just watch him uh, go up against Detroit Tigers would be very uh, excited to see that. Um, and then Thursday, Tyson Ross uh, going up against uh, the, the Cahill matchup. Ross has recently had uh, had an absolute blow up in what seemed like a good matchup for him. So, you know, maybe a guy who, who does have a little bit of scariness to him. But, uh, again, LA, L.A. isn't the greatest lineup uh, right now. So, you know, getting Tyson Ross uh, out there has, has a chance for some – some streamer upside. Um, you know, a couple other matchups I have listed down just in general for the for the week. Um, some of the Cincinnati starting pitchers, you know, that they, they have uh, this handy or this this negative uh, because they have to play in Great American Ballpark. Um, it's not the worst in terms of runs because of the small outfield leading to smaller bats, typically speaking. Um, but it's not a great ballpark to pitch in, regardless, especially because you feel like you know, you give up the hit that you don't think is hit hard enough to clear the fence, uh, and then it finds a short fence and clears it. Uh, that can be particularly frustrating. Um, 
particularly starters uh, Mole and Roark because of the nature of streaming uh, are intriguing to me on Tuesday and Thursday as I think they could be available in a number of leagues. Um, and unlike Cincinnati, this match will be in Oakland. And Oakland's a huge park, huge cavernous um you know, deep, deep outfield, deep, deep foul territory, which is something that doesn't factor in uh, to our difference in a lot of ballparks. But Oakland has so much extra foul territory that you can actually gain some outs uh, that get that get caught uh, in in the field of play that in multiple other ballparks uh, would be out of the field of play. So um, that that's a big thing uh, in terms of uh, of Oakland. So so both Molle and Roark uh, become interesting to me as streamers, and then uh, not a streaming matchup. But two pitchers who have, um, you know, in one case improved and in one case changed uh, opinions of themselves since the year began, uh, Mike Soroka uh, and Luke Weaver going head-to-head uh, on Thursday. It looks like a, a very intriguing matchup there. Soroka is someone uh, who, you know, I don't want to say I was negative on him coming into the year. It's just that I wasn't, uh, you know, positive on him. I wasn't looking at him as someone who was like, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Soroka fan. I, you know, I, I really like Soroka. It was just a case of, you know, one of many to me. And I think he's really changed that uh, already so far in, in his appearances. You know, I've always really liked his ability to command a fastball with movement. Uh, and put it around um, the zone and seemed to not uh, get hit hard. But so far this year, he's actually leaning uh, on his off-speed pitches even more, and they're working effectively. Uh, and seeing him pitch and, and be a pitcher uh, has continued to, to build uh, my faith in Soroka. And then, um, well, I haven't gotten to see as much of him, Luke Weaver does seem to be uh, showcasing a potential new pitch um, and, and with his fastball and changeup working potentially as, as well as ever. It, he's shown the kind of things that, that got the, the Diamondbacks to believe in him enough uh, to trade uh, him or have him be one of the main returns uh, in the Paul Goldschmidt trade. Um, so, so any of these names that I just threw out here uh, stick out for you in, in any capacity. doesn't need to be streaming, obviously, especially with the last two. But, you know, Griffin Canning, uh, the Reds guys, Roka, Weaver, uh, anything on, on, on those fronts? Yeah, I think Weaver, uh, for one, could be a name to watch out for. Uh, I think uh, getting him back in the Paul Goldschmidt trade, like you said, um, takes a lot uh, of courage for the Diamondbacks to take a flyer on that guy, um, you know, because they, they could have done the easy thing when they traded Goldschmidt and, and asked for young prospects, right? But what they did is they asked for really a couple major league ready prospects in Weaver and, and the catcher they got in return. I forget his name. I think it's Kelly, but, uh, you know, those are major league ready prospects that they got in return for him, which uh, shows that the Diamondbacks had some faith in their organization that they could be ready to to win again here soon when you trade trade away the players or lose the players that they did. Um, so Weaver, you know, he could be a solid pitcher um, this year, next year, and a couple of years. So I, I think that's one that I would keep an eye on uh, for the long term, really. Yeah, sounds good, Kyle. And then, did you uh, look over any particular uh, series for this this weekday? Uh, any any matchups that stuck out to you in any way to uh, to discuss? Yeah, one that uh, to me was a big matchup is uh, we've kind of already talked about the NL Central a lot tonight, but 
your Cubbies are hosting the Brewers this week um, for a three-game set. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good uh, series to pick. Um, right now, the Cubs are a uh, half game back of the Cardinals in the Central Division. Uh, the Milwaukee's right on their heels. They're only a game and a half back. Um, so that could be a very nice series. The Cubs are marching out three pretty legit starters that they have at Quantana, uh, Hamels, and Lesser all pitching this week against um, Gio Gonzalez, who was just picked up by Milwaukee not too long ago. Uh, Davis and uh, Shasin, I think is how you say his last name. <laughs> but um, to me, that could be a very interesting, fun series for, for both teams. Um, right now it's tight. Uh, it could be, uh, obviously, it's way too early to say that this series will have impact on uh, the playoffs. But if you think about it in the long term, uh, with how many times these teams play each other, uh, it might have a little bit of impact on what the playoff pitcher could say. Uh, within the coming months, because that division is very good. It's very it's a three three team race, really. Even if you add Pittsburgh, maybe four team race. So, um, don't want to say games count in May, but hey, maybe these games could have a little bit of impact on on the uh, playoff pitcher or pit yeah pitcher. Sorry. Well, and, and you know, ultimately, when it comes down to it, when we're when we're tallying the games at the end of the season. Um, you know, wins in May count as much as wins in September. You know, the only wins that matter more are the ones after the first 162. Um, in, in the Cubs' case for this week, um, this weekend they were home against St. Louis. Uh, they play seven home games all week, four against Miami, three against Milwaukee. Uh, it should be interesting to see uh, as they continue. You know, uh, St. Louis has been making the moves uh, necessary to, to get them near the top of the division. Now, now right now, currently, as we're having the show, uh, the Cubs do lead uh, the St. Louis Cardinals 6-2 on Sunday night baseball. Um, and, and they're hoping to continue to, uh, to if they can win this game, continue to, to close uh, the gap that the St. Louis Cardinals have and, and continue to uh, potentially push for for the divisional lead. Um, but, but this will be a big week for them, especially with all the home games to, to try to uh, make a statement. Make a statement early in the week. Make sure that you don't even split against Miami. Make sure that you win at least three or four. Um, you know, roll, roll, uh, cross your fingers. Hope you can win four or four. Um, and then you know, really try to stick it to Milwaukee uh, at the end of the week from from a Cubs fan's perspective. Uh, and on the Milwaukee side of things, uh, try to you know continue to to prove that you're more than just your offense at home. Uh, that you can score a ton of runs on the road uh, and, and be a really fearful offense on the road. Um, but that just about wraps us up for this Sunday edition. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining us, Kyle. And uh, if there's, you know, any any one last major topic, um, series point, anything we've talked about so far um, that you really need to uh, feel like you need to get off your chest, you know, just feel free to have uh, one last uh, thought and, and then I'll, I'll see you next time you're on the show. Uh, you know, I don't really have anything too major to talk about. Um, I, I just want to thank you for uh, having me on today and, and getting the chance to talk baseball. It's always fun. Um, and uh, thanks for everybody who's listening out there. I, I really do enjoy being a part of this and hope everybody has a, a good rest of your Sunday night. All right. Sounds good, Kyle, and thanks for joining me. Um, 
And like I said, that just about wraps us up for this Sunday edition of the Major League Fantasy Baseball radio show on Block Talk Network. Uh, I'm your host, Cole Friel, and I will be your host uh, on this Thursday edition with Kyle Amore coming up. Uh, and then next Sunday, it will be back to uh, Brian Roach, the no- normal Sunday host. I will I will be going back to my position as co-host on this Sunday show. Um, we look forward to having you uh, tune into those shows. Uh, but in, in, until Thursday and until next week, uh, I'll see you guys. 